0: It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood of a beautiful day day. In the day. As you may or may not know, Ted kicked off a new series for us last week called Into the Neighborhood. And we're going to get into that. We're actually going to talk about Into the Neighborhood by looking at a passage in John chapter 3. And it's Jesus and Nicodemus. And if you know this story, it's the only time in the Gospels it's mentioned. Nicodemus isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Gospel. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. Those first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptic Gospels. They're in sync with one another. They're real consistent stories, real consistent parallels, real consistent, right? Right? Matthew was written to the Jews, Mark was written to the Romans, which ruled the world at the time, and Luke, a physician, was written to the Greek, the Stoic philosophers, the really highly intellectual people. John, which is a separate from those four, considered a love gospel, was written to the Gentiles, you and I. Right? So it had a different perspective. Those, it, was, it was for the whole world. As we know, is one of the most quoted passages of all the scriptures in John. But we're going to start in John chapter 3 verse 1. And we're going to show how this passage is actually enlightening to how you and I can better love our neighbor. Just by following the example of Jesus. Let's begin. John chapter 3 verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. Right. It's really interesting here that John wants to mention that he's a Pharisee. He didn't have to tell us that he was a Pharisee. He could have said there was just a man, a man that showed up and had a conversation with Jesus. But John is very intentional with telling you and I that he was a Pharisee. Why? He wanted you to know he was a religious person, and not any religious person. He also wanted to tell you who he was, and he placed his name. His name was Nicodemus. That word Nicodemus is really interesting here because the word niko, which comes from the Greek word nike, which means victory, And then Demas, of the people, the word Nicodemus literally means victory of the people. How ironic that he is sitting down and having a conversation with, that he doesn't realize yet, is the ultimate victory for the people. And so he's having a conversation with victory of the people, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is fascinating. This guy is really smart. He knows the Pentateuch inside and out. He knows the Torah. He knows the major and minor prophets. He knows the poetical books. Nicodemus is wicked smart. He's one of the top of the tops. He's a part of the Sanhedrin. And he sneaks away to have a conversation with Jesus. Right? Which tells us this. Why he told us he was a Pharisee? Because John wants us to know we don't need religion. We need a relationship with Jesus. First verse in John chapter 3, he lets us know here's a religious leader. And guess what? it's not about religion. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about walking in here today and checking a box and make sure you've done everything you need to No, 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 He cleans us up. We don't clean ourselves up. That is the work of Jesus. And John wants us to know that right away. Hey, we don't need a religion. We need a relationship with Jesus. And guess what? That relationship with Jesus permeates itself into our relationship with our neighbors. And we're going to talk about here in a second who our neighbors are. To love our neighbor well, we must pursue a relationship with them. Well, in Hills, how are we doing with that? People online, how are we doing with that? Pursuing relationships with people in our neighborhood, people in this community. How are we doing with pursuing? You know, you know this world has robbed us in the sense that cell phones has robbed that intimate relationship that Jesus exampled for all of us right? So he, he, th- there's all these things that Jesus says in this Bible. A lot of things he says. Specifically in the Gospels, if you have a red letter Bible and you were to open it, you'd see a lot of red lettering in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You would see some in the book of Acts and a little bit in Corinthians, indicating the words of Christ and the book of Revelation. But out of everything Jesus said, which was a lot of amazing stuff, why is this most humble man ever to walk the Lord, greatest leader there ever was? But there's these things that he said that were the greats. So everything he says, there's two greats. He leaves us with this great commission, which is found in Matthew 28, 19, which says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do all that I've commanded you. And then there's this great commandment found in Mark 12, 29 through 31. And it says this, which commandment is the most important of all? They want to know because they know all the commandments through the Old Testament. And they said, which one's the most important? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. It's crazy. Hundreds of commandments. And he says, love God first. Here's the second one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Fascinating, right? That Jesus would say to love our neighbor as ourself. Perhaps he understood that you and I would never have a problem loving ourselves. Now, I'm not saying a high or low self-esteem. You can laugh. We don't have a problem loving ourselves. When we're hungry, the first person we're thinking about is ourselves. When we're tired, the first person we're thinking about getting into the bed is ourselves. Right When we're angry, the first person we think about is ourselves. Jesus knew that you and I would never have a problem thinking about ourselves. When you go to bed at night, when you wake up, when you're looking in the mirror, you're thinking about yourself. I'm not talking about a high or low self-esteem. I'm thinking about you don't think about anyone else more in the day than yourself, what you need to do and what you're going to do. And he knows that. And Jesus knows that. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's amazing what he's really telling us. You know, if you take the word joy, J-O-Y, the core of it, he laid out what he just said in this passage. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. That's a pretty good equation. And you want joy? There's where you find joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Don't make it all about yourself. Make it about Jesus and others, and, and it all comes together. There is no other commandment greater than these. There's no other commandment greater than these. Words of Jesus, to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So would you spit venomous rhetoric online to yourself? Just curious. Would you do that? Right? Would you throw yourself the one finger away when someone cuts you off in traffic? Hey, take that, buddy. Would you do that? Right? love your neighbors yourself. Do you treat people how you treat yourself? No, you pamper yourself. You take care of yourself. You go to the spa, ladies. You take care of those toenails. You get them did, okay? You take care of yourself. It goes on to say in John chapter 3, verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, this is really intriguing, and a lot of people miss this in this passage. So it tells me two things. One After a long day at work, after Jesus had performed miracles, interacted, preached, loved on people, healed people, did all these things, he was still at nighttime when he's completely exhausted, willing to engage in a relationship with someone that had further questions. I don't know about you, but when I get home around 5 and 5.30, I'm tanked. I want to sit on my couch, get an ice-cold glass of water, and just veg out for a second. I'm not always fired up to run into a six-year-old and an eight-year-old in love and get my daily delay with my wife. I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Matter of fact, our care pastor, Don, I told you, he lives right next door to me. He did three services. He works his tail off on Sundays. I finished my porch last Sunday afternoon. He gets home from church around two o'clock. I'm like, Don, check out my porch. He's like, I don't wanna hear it, leave me alone. He just walks straight into the house. Now, Don's my buddy, we have the best friendship and I love these in my neighborhood. But I get it, he's exhausted. He's been having conversations all morning on Sunday. I get it, right? And we're exhausted, that same thing. So when we come home, the first thing we wanna do is not have a conversation with our neighbor. It's not to love on our neighbor, right? It's probably to do what Karen does to me, right? Like I said, Karen, if you're watching, I love you, come over, I will kick you, cook you your favorite meal. <laughs> Here's the other part about this is real interesting. Nicodemus doesn't want to be noticed, right? So he pulled what some of you husbands pull, as you act like you're going to bed with your wife, and then once she falls asleep, you kind of sneak out of bed and start playing a little couple more hours of Call of Duty and Fortnite, right? Yep, I just saw a nudge from the wife. Unbelievable. Stop sneaking out of bed to get some more video game hours in, Okay. But Nicodemus did the same thing. He waits till his wife probably goes to bed because she doesn't want him messing with this guy who's stirring up all this trouble. She doesn't want him to a guy that is threatening what Jews think is supposed to be and Jesus doesn't look like that's supposed to be. So he sneaks out at night. But what we learn from this is to love our neighbor well, we can't make them feel like an inconvenience. Nothing in this passage do we feel like Nicodemus was an inconvenience to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus was willing after a long day of work to go overtime and to spend more time with this religious leader. It continues on in John 3, 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. That's an amazing statement that Nicodemus is making right there. You realize what he just said, Woodland Hills. We know We know that you are from God. No one can be doing these things you're doing. We know that you are from God. So many of you in here today, you know God. You know Jesus. You heard it your whole life. You went to Sunday school. You come to church on Sunday. You know God. But do you really know him? Nicodemus knew him. Could recite all the passages of the Pentateuch and the Torah. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you today that there are 12 inches that literally can change the course of history. You know what? Forget that. They can change the course of eternity. What are those 12 inches? Those 12 inches are from here to here. 12 inches from here to here. Think about throughout history, how much 12 inches has literally changed everything. What about Alexander Hamilton and Burr? 12 inches on that shot, Hamilton lives. History's completely changed forever. What what, what about Joe Montana to Dwight Clark? 12 inches too high, completely different Super Bowl champs. Sorry, Cowboy fans, right? What, 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 What about Michael Jordan and the Utah Jazz? 12 inches to the right, 12 inches to the left, 12 inches short. John Stockton and Karl Malone finally get an NBA championship that they never received. What about poor Justin Gatlin that was just in the wrong era of a man named Usain Bolt, right? How many gold medals would he have received? Just 12 inches if Usain Bolt wasn't faster than him and all the gold medals he would have received. How many golf championships have been won or lost by 12 inches? How many lives have been literally spared by traffic accidents by 12 inches? 12 inches changes a lot in the course of history, but no 12 inches are greater than these right here. You see, there's a lot of Christians that say they know Jesus, but they haven't actually given him their heart. And and this is why I say that. For for a Christian that has really given Jesus his heart, they look radically different than someone who just knows them. And this is what I mean by that. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by, by the way you love them. By the way you love them. And we don't love people well when we just have a mind of Jesus, but not a heart of Jesus. You, you see, the mind is very similar to Nicodemus self righteous, Pharisee, judgmental, critical, wants to tell everybody what they're doing wrong. A heart of Jesus wants to step into the neighborhood and love people well. That's why Jesus is the greatest leader that ever was, and no leader will ever be more impactful than he was. So, so. 12 inches that change history right here. From the head to the heart. Romans ten nine through 10 says that if you confess your sins and believe that Jesus is the Lord, right, and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord, you will be saved. You can have all the head knowledge you want, but knowledge without application is meaningless. You can have all the great advice and the wisdom in the world, but unapplied is useless. John 3 Three through four goes on to say Jesus answered him. And you're gonna see three different times that Jesus says, truly, truly. Which is crazy because in John 14, six, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one shall come to the Father except through me, him being Jesus. And he says it truly, truly. Nicodemus, I'm telling you, this is the truth. Believe the truth. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He he obviously doesn't understand that Jesus is talking spiritually. He doesn't understand the, the, the verse that will come from Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He's not talking physically. We know that's physically impossible to be born again. He's talking about being born again as a new believer, born again in Christ, The old is gone, the new creation has come. Anyone who has surrendered their life to Jesus and trusted Him as their personal Lord and Savior becomes a new human being. They get a Holy Spirit inside them, they are completely transformed. And Nicodemus doesn't understand that. And even though he doesn't understand it, Jesus' response is not one of annoyance, right? Like ours when someone thinks differently than we do politically, right? Because here's the reality. To love our neighbor well, we must exercise patience with their cluelessness. Some of us are laughing and giggling and some of us are quiet because we know we haven't done a great job of exercising our patience with tourists driving cluelessness, okay? Or we haven't exercised our patience with what we consider cluelessness of a different political belief than us. Or we haven't exercised our patience with someone's cluelessness when they think differently than we do spiritually or biblically. How how do we respond to someone else's cluelessness? Let me drive it a little closer to home. How do you respond to your spouse's cluelessness? Patient, gentle. I just saw so many heads turn. Oh, my gosh. I do not want to be at that lunch conversation. I do not want to be at that lunch conversation today. Sorry, buddy. But how? Because the way Jesus responds is amazing. Look how he responds to cluelessness. Jesus answered. Again, there's those two words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about salvation and baptism. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What a gentle response. Not, you idiot, I can't believe you believe that politically. Or, are you kidding me, fill in the blank, yada, yada, yada. You, you, you see, the problem that, that, that we have as Christians isn't our Jesus. It's those that claim to follow him who show a poor reflection of him. Mahatma Gandhi, who was a peace activist in India, said it best. It's not Jesus I have a problem with. It's his followers who look so unlike the Jesus they claim to follow. And that doesn't mean we're perfect. But, but, but let me ask you this, in your community, in your world, in your neighborhood, as we step into the neighborhood, to those that don't believe in Jesus that you believe in, do they look at you and say, man, there's something so different about the way they love and listen and care and give, it makes me scratch my head because they have something I don't have? Or do they look and say, see, those people claim, claim to follow Jesus and they look just like I do not following Jesus. They engage in the same hateful rhetoric they engage in the same activities and places and, and all the same things. That There's no head-scratcher. Ladies and gentlemen, non-believers should act like non-believers. Why are you surprised? They don't have Jesus living inside and compelling their hearts to love and to give. And, and so I know in this day and age, in canceled culture, it's really hard to be a Christian because we get muddied in with those crazy people out there with picket signs and yelling and boycotting and everything else. That's not Jesus. Jesus was concerned about the things of the kingdom. He wasn't concerned about getting in all these other things that would mess up his testimony or his witness. And he did it with so much passion and compassion. He was so loving and so gentle. And this challenges me, like how I'm going to approach the lady in my neighborhood and try to love her well and to serve her well and figure out the four times a year she's in to tell me everything I'm doing wrong. Just, yes, ma'am, you're right. I need to follow the HOAs. I know there's agreements. I didn't realize a basketball goal meant that much to you, but I'll take care of it. How are you doing in loving the clueless ones in your life and showing them compassion? To love our neighbor well, we must cr- help create clarity where there is confusion. I think my neighbor's confused about who I really am. Not perfect, I'm not a saint. I'm not an angel. But, but I really don't think she realizes how much my wife and I would love to love on her. Absolutely would love to love on my We'd love on every neighbor. in our. I, I have a late 80s couple that lives right next door to us. Get to snow his driveway when snowmageddon hit this year. Get to help him with his dog. To, and I, and we, my wife and I love it. If Don and Cheryl ever need anything, man, at a heartbeat, we would help them. Sweet neighbors that live next to them. Michael would like, Yes. Like, yes, and, and so rather than being toxic or or at a waiter or a waitress that doesn't understand something, like help create clarity where there's confusion. And you do that by having healthy conversations. Not jumping into some social media vomiting your feelings and then exiting. That that doesn't create clarity. That creates more confusion. Not yelling at somebody that, that made a mistake or did something wrong at the airport or in traffic, that creates confusion. Right? Throwing a one-finger wave and having an ichthus on the back of your car is very confusing for a lot of people. Okay? Or a cross on the finger of your car as you lay on your horn to somebody. That creates confusion for who Jesus really is. Whew. Pin drop. You guys didn't like that one. I still love all of you. I'm just telling you, and I'm preaching to myself. Okay. It goes on to say in John chapter 3, verse 9 through 15. Nicodemus said to him, He's confused. Like he's pulling his hair out. Like, Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Jesus knows the answer. He knows he's the teacher of Israel. This brother knows the Old Testament inside and out. And he says, And yet you do not understand these things. Watch what he does here. He brings them to the Old Testament. He helps create clarity where there is confusion. Truly, truly, there it is, the third time I tell you. Jesus is very adamant about this truth part. He's telling the truth. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, which is Jesus. The Son of Man is sitting across from Nicodemus at this conversation. And he doesn't realize he's the Son of Man yet. And as Moses, here he goes, now he's bringing it back to have a relatability with him. He brings it back to something he will understand. He finds a connecting point with his neighbor right? He's loving him well. Regardless if it's a Boston Red Sox fan and a Yankees fan, he's finding a common ground. Whether it's a Cubs fan or a Cardinals fan, he's finding a common ground. You see what he's doing here? Whether it's whoever, whether it's a Chiefs fan and a Raiders fan, he's finding a common ground. He's, he's seeing past their differences and seeing how can I connect with you Right? How can you connect with your neighbors that don't think like you, act like you, cheer for the same things you do, think the same way politically you do, and eat the same food you do? How can you connect with them? And so he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just flip this guy's world upside down. Just basically told him, guess what? You think that following the law and the rules and all the checklists, we're going to get you to heaven. Well, guess what? I'm here, and the only way you're going to get to heaven now is through the Son of Man. Poor Nicodemus. Just just mind-blown, and he knows this man is different. He knows he's different. So I don't know if any of you have been able to have the opportunity to watch this free episode series on YouTube called The Chosen. Uh, The director and, and producer, Dallas, has done a phenomenal job now, now, keep in mind, he's had liberty to add fictional parts to this series that, that we don't know for sure that scripture says that, but he doesn't take any scripture out of context. There's no heresy or blasphemy through these series. If you haven't watched it, this would be a phenomenal series for you and your family to watch. He just launched the first episode of season two on Easter Sunday, and it is unbelievable. I've laughed, I've cried, my wife and I just have absolutely loved it. I'm going to show you a one-minute clip from this series. Once again, it's free on YouTube, it's called The Chosen. And this is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that he captured, I believe, so unbelievably well. Check it out. The eastern slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm-hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell the paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? (laughs) (laughs) Huh. I I literally get chills every time I watch that video clip. He he knew. Nicodemus knew who he was sitting across from. But he wasn't ready to give him his heart. He wasn't ready to get to that point. And you know, when we talk about into the neighborhood and stepping in and loving our neighborhood, it's fascinating because in Luke chapter 10, this lawyer tries to justify who he has to love. He wants to pick who he gets to love. And and Jesus completely flips that and tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, And basically in this story, Jesus is telling this lawyer I want you to love the very individual you don't want to love. I want you to love the person who thinks differently than you do politically. I want you to love the person that emails your HOA and gives you an email every time they visit town. I want you to love the person that drives you crazy. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about that person when they walk in the room every time the hair on the back of your neck just goes bink, just makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. That person is the very person Jesus told us to love and step into their neighborhood. That is the person we're called to love. He he didn't give us an option. Hey, 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 I just want you to go love the people that are really easy to love, that get along with you, that tell you what what you want to hear, that don't disagree with you at anything. No. That's not who he told us to love. And he said, you will know you are my disciples by the way you love others. And guess what? They also will know that you are his disciples by the way you love others. I've never heard anyone in my whole life say this. Please stop loving me. I don't like, will will you keep cussing at me and come at me with your toxic rhetoric so then I'll wanna hear about your Jesus? Said no one ever? Oh yeah, you just chewed me out. Now tell me about Jesus. Now tell me why I want to come over to your house for dinner. The scariest 12 inches in all of life is that we can have this knowledge of Jesus, but not a heart for Jesus. We haven't given him our heart, and when we give Jesus our heart, it compels us to love people we don't want to love. It compels us to care for people we normally wouldn't even think twice about. And so the lawyer says, well, who is my neighbor? And he says, it's the person you don't want to love and you're supposed to love them the same way you would love yourself. And and so it tells us this, to love our neighbor well, we must find ways to relate to them. Not to make them mold to the way we think and the way we want them to act. We must find ways to relate to them. I think about the journey God has taken me on and how many little languages I've learned along the way, trying to love people well and speak their language instead of assume that they speak mine. You know why that's the French can't stand us as tourists? It's because we go over to France and expect them to speak English. It's unbelievable. So I've, I've learned so many. Like I have friends growing up that were, were Filipino, and I tried to learn their language. means, How are you? How are you doing? Or, or Mandarin. Ni hao. Or even went over to Tanzania with our missionary, Bob, that's a part of this church. And he helped me learn the Tanzania. Right? And so it's like, I want to relate to them. I don't want them to come over to me and expect me to hey, this is where you need to be. No, 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 no. How can I step into your world and love you well? Because here's the greatest thing about this entire thing. We just looked at John chapter 3, 1 through 15, and I'll close with this. You all know what the next passage is. It's the most quoted verse in all the Bible, John 3.16. And I think there's such an important piece that is actually missed in that verse that says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, believe in him, should not perish, but would have eternal life. Let me tell you what we miss so much in that passage, and I have for so many years of my life. That God so loved the world, he gave. You see, loving someone and giving is connected. Giving of our time, giving of our resources, giving of our patience, giving. You can't love someone and not give. So giving and taking are, it ends with one another. So if you're just a taker and you only want something from your coworker because you want the promotion or you're only friends with somebody because they might be able to help you financially or your social status, whatever it be, you aren't loving them the way Jesus loved them. And you're definitely not loving them the way the Father loved us when he gave. Giving and loving are connected to one another. They can't be separate. And giving and taking are opposites with one another. And as Christians, if we are takers, we are a really poor example of our Lord and Savior Jesus who gave the ultimate price, which was our life, which was his life for ours, I'm sorry. And he tasted death so you and I don't have to. And that's why you and I get to step into the neighborhood and love our neighbors well. Because he's called us to. He said, I'll know you're my disciples by the way you love others. May I go love my Karen well, May you go love this neighborhood well and imagine the impact that Wooden Hills Family Church could have with our patience, with our compassion, and with our love for this community. Oh my goodness, the love of Christ has not stopped impacting for generation after generation. Amen? Father God, thank you so much for the lessons that Jesus and Nicodemus teach us. God, help me to love my neighbor well. Help me to love the people that don't think like me and act like me well. Help me to pursue people you desire. to Help all of us in this room to listen to people the way you listen, to see people the way you see, to speak to them the way you speak and have a heart for them the way you have a heart for them. God, forgive us of the times we do not reflect you well. I pray you'd use this church body to love Stone and Taney and Northern Arkansas and Springfield and just this whole area well. May people be curious about this group of people by the way they love them as it's an overflow of your love for us. It's in the powerful and pure and mighty and matchless name of Jesus I pray and all God's people said.